Well, indeed, Father, you have been so faithful to us for another year. Thank you for the promise of your faithfulness in our word that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And Father, we are so often found living below the level of faithfulness, taking for granted so much that comes from your good hand. Thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ and his willingness to be our sin bearer, to be the the one who became sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we who were so lost and helpless and hopeless can have life everlasting. Father, may we reflect the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives these days. Father, thank you for your word now, and as we open our Bibles, encourage us and strengthen us. We need it. We want it. Our greatest intention is to live in biblical faithfulness, but we need your grace to do that, Lord. So use this special time when we're together, we're still, and we're quiet, we're listening, we're attentive, we're humble, and let your word impact our lives now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, in light of Thanksgiving week, I want us to um, leave our Genesis series for a week and just um, hear from God's Word on the theme of thankfulness and having a joy-filled life in spite of circumstances. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles as we have in this really historical record of the early church, some tremendous stories, fascinating stories. And this morning, a quite familiar passage to most of you, I'm sure. Acts chapter 16, before we end up in Paul's letter to the Colossian believers. But Acts chapter 16, to lay the foundation for our message this morning, beginning with verse 16. This is a testimonial of an occurrence in the life of the Apostle Paul and his partner Silas as they were in the Roman colony of Philippi. And uh, one day, you'll see, as they were going to the place of prayer, verse 16, he says, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city in an uproar, into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. 
Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. We'll stop there. This morning, I have titled our message, God's People Are Thankful People. I do not want to imply that I think that Paul and Silas were thankful that they got beaten nearly to death, locked in stocks and held in a musty, dirty, damp, dark prison throughout the night. I don't know that Paul would say, I really thank God for this. But what I want us to deal with this morning is a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude that is to be present in the lives of God's people in spite of the circumstances of our lives. I suspect that many of us are much like the people who don't know the Lord, people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, people who don't believe in a sovereign God, an all-powerful God who is in control of their lives as they walk in His will. And we, be, we allow ourselves to vacillate and be subject to the mood of the moment or the circumstances of the day. And so I hold up before us this morning in Acts chapter 16, the author of the passages we're going to study in a little more detail in a minute, giving us the directive to be thankful at all times. And I want from his own life experience and his own testimony to show us, to speak as a model for us, that Paul's peace, that Paul's joy was not circumstantial. That is, that his faithfulness to the Lord, the peace that passes all understanding, and the song in his heart that comes out on the lips was not contingent upon good things happening to him that day. And he did not necessarily lose his temper and kick the dog when things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. As we see from our story that they had a very difficult encounter, didn't they? Here they are in Philippi. It's governed by the Romans at this time. It's not a Jewish community. 
It's a Gentile community. Paul and his partner in ministry, Silas, are there to minister. If you, in the context, they had just led Lydia and some folks at her household to Christ. It was their practice to go to this place of prayer. And they had this most strange encounter every day as they went down to this place to pray along the river. There was this girl that was along the way. I picture her to maybe be a 15, 16 year old young lady. And as they would go, the demons inside this girl, the, the, uh, the evil spirits inside this girl would bear testimony of who Paul and Silas were. Did you notice what they said? They said, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. It's an interesting billboard for their ministry, isn't it? An interesting marquee. This pitiful, abused girl who is shamefully being used by these wicked men for monetary gain. She's a fortune teller. The spirits within her are used to predict the future and to maybe read palms. And, and uh, this, is, this is definitely involving the occult and the spirit world in a very real way. And these guys had this money-making scam going, in essence. And every day when these ministers of the gospel would walk by, isn't it interesting that the... the the demons in her. There goes the men of God who will tell you how to be saved. Isn't it interesting? And they still don't get it, do they? James says that the demons know who he is and the demons believe. These people, these demons understood, but they had no willingness to bring themselves in underneath the authority of God, evidently being angels that at one point in heaven rebelled against Almighty God and were were kicked out of heaven, most of whom are held in dungeons, Peter says, and Jude says, for future judgment. Some evidently have a freedom to roam as Satan's aids, Lucifer's aids, and have the ability to indwell people. We have testimony in the New Testament, don't we, of the crazy man at Gadaria who had legions of demons within himself, in his body, that controlled him and ruined his life. And even though they spoke the truth about Paul and Silas, it's a pitiful picture, isn't it? A pitiful picture of this young girl who is so abused by these men. And I think that's the part that broke the Apostle's Paul, Apostle Paul's heart. Because it wasn't that I think that they minded the attention being drawn to them everywhere the Apostle Paul went. He preached the gospel and drew a crowd and often started a riot. It wasn't that what she said wasn't true and accurate. It, it was the pitiful nature of the abuse. And so one day the Apostle Paul looks at her and he says, You demons in the name of Jesus Christ, you get out of her. And immediately they came out. Look what it says. When the owners, verse 19, of the slave girls realized that their hope of making money was gone, now starts the very bad day. that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now, I want you to just walk with me through the, the sequence of events because we read these stories and we think, oh, that's just another day in the life of the Apostle Paul. 
As you know, in our culture and in our community, we are not used to being grabbed and dragged. I, I take that to be a very upsetting moment. That's very dramatic. Because these men lost their money-making venue in the form of this abusing, abusing this girl, they were angry. And so they began to scream anti-Semitic slurs at them. They're Jews! They grab them, taking them, I take to be literally off their feet, grabbed as a crowd and dragged down through the street, roughed up, and then the, the, the injustice, the false accusation, the whole schmuck just begins. Put yourself in their circumstances. You're downtown. You've done nothing wrong but help a poor, innocent victim. It's the men who ruled over and dominated this poor, pitiful girl that should have been thrown in jail and locked in stocks in the innermost part of a dirty dungeon prison. These are godly men who never harmed anyone after Christ. Paul did, of course, before that. And they grab them, take them to the marketplace, bring in the authorities, brought them before the magistrates. It's a corrupt system. These men are Jews throwing our city into an uproar. Okay, Most of the people there were, were Greeks and Gentiles by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans. They're pointing out to the magistrates that this is not a state. These guys don't practice what the state of Rome has sanctioned as far as the official religions that everybody's supposed to be able to be allowed to do, and they're not registered with the state, much like many countries today. That's why Advocates International exists, to represent people like this. Well, there were no Advocates International then. But as we'll see, Paul's Heavenly Father was his advocate that night. By advocating customs unlawful for us, the crowd then joins into the attack. So you get this whole group of people gathering around. And as people come, it just, it foments. To the degree that the magistrates realize that they don't have thugs on their hands. The magistrates, I'm sure, realize they don't have any grievous breaking of the law. What they realize is that they have a moment to please the public. They have a moment to gain some political kudos. They have a moment with this fomented crowd to, to, to be seen as strong political community leaders. And so they say, yeah, strip them down and beat them with rods. And the crowd's cheering and carrying on and jerking them around. And it's a horrible scene. If it happened to any one of us, it would be, we'd be seeing Miss Marcia for post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a, it's a horrible moment. It's, it's life-changing. It's, it's brutal. It's ungodly. It's unjust. It's life-threatening. Even though it happened to the Apostle Paul, it doesn't make it any easier to bear. So they get beaten. Evidently, long, slender rods that were wrapped together and tied together to make a bigger rod so that it had some limberness to it and they just beat the fire out of them. Almost immediately, their bodies reacted. They're bleeding, no doubt. They're bruised. Their bodies are swelling. Their fluid gathers to the place and then they begin to run a fever as their body fights, begins to heal and... It's just a horrible thing. And then, after they had been severely flogged, verse 23, it says they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stock. See, this is a whole community event. Everybody knows about this. This is like the story that doesn't go away 24 hours a day. It all of a sudden, it just caught. It just hooked. And so when the jailer, the Philippian jailer here, is commanded to take care of the guy, he takes him to the very inner part, the inner part of the, the jail, so there's no light. No doubt it's very dirty, even potentially rat infested. Puts them in stocks, so their legs are fastened securely. They cannot move their legs. They can't change their body positions very much at all. Where they're sitting is where they're sitting. They don't get released for moments of relief. There they are, beaten, battered, bruised, in utter darkness as the doors are closed, I'm sure. No doubt it's damp. It's just, it's just a, a bad, bad situation. It's just bad. It's horrible. All right? So, how do you react to this? I want my lawyer. Okay? If I ever get out of here, you better watch it. Because I'm going to become Josie Wales and I'm going to hunt you down and get you. And I'm just mad and it's wrong and it's not fair and I don't know where God is and it's dark and what the world's going on here, right? Circumstances. I was thinking of the circumstances of people that I encountered this week and I, I didn't even take time to think very carefully about the week. And I listed four in a hurry that just came right to my mind. I, I sat down with a young pastor this week who just a few days ago, had one of the leaders of his church take him out to breakfast to tell him that his preaching was ineffective in their ministry. And it hurt his feelings deeply. Took his confidence away. Those are awful moments, aren't they? I had a young lady across from my desk this week with tears down her cheeks and as we unfolded her story and tried to give her direction and help, it's clear that her husband, at the least, is lying to her and is not faithful. And it could be even worse. And she's broken. I had an email correspondence with a family this week outside of our ministry. And there was great distress the husband has lost his job. They have no money. They're talking to bankruptcy lawyers. Life is falling apart. Last night, we, Janet was reading the prayer list that we get from IBC, from Independent Bible Church, and on their prayer list I saw that, and I hadn't caught the word here through my computer, that our missionary Mike Gale in Togo, whose home church is Independent Bible Church, is undergoing treatment because he was splashed in his eyes with HIV body fluids from a patient in Togo, Africa this past week. All right? Circumstances. Life taking turns and twists and going places you didn't plan for it to go. What's your response? I want to hold up the Apostle Paul and Silas as a testimonial here because I just love their response. Look what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas 
We're praying, all right? That's, a, that's an appropriate response, isn't it? And I suspect that as they sat there, these grown men, probably not far from one another, maybe even locked in side-by-side leg, leg stocks, I imagine that they're praying out loud in the darkness. I imagine them maybe even tag-teaming, maybe moaning and groaning even from their injuries. Lord, we're your servants here. Father, we need your grace and your strength right now. Oh, and the other one picks up. Lord, Lord, give us the strength that we need to persevere through this difficulty. Thank you for your presence right here in the darkness. But then it says also that they were singing hymns. The King James translates the word there that they sang praises. I suspect that they, like we in our church today, had psalms. They had the same psalms we have, that they had psalms that they had put to music that they sang. I I was trying to think, wonder what they sang. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. Yeah, ooh, uh, oh, we will rejoice. I don't know what they sang. Maybe they sang, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. I don't know what they sang. Great is thy faithfulness. They sang hymns. And I know this. You cannot sing praises to God without a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude in your heart, can you? So somehow in the midst of these circumstances, their commitment to the presence of God in that moment and his complete awareness in his sovereignty and the reality that they knew they were in the will of God and that God had allowed this suffering to come their way by no ignorance of their own or sinful behavior of their own meant then that God was completely in control and that God was going to take these circumstances and in a way that they didn't know because we know the end of the story, they don't know the end of the story, they're just living through it And they are at some level at peace with the circumstances and giving praise and thanksgiving to God for all that he is. And I suspect that very real at that moment was the reality that they had a heavenly home with which to look forward to. And the fact, as Hebrews says, that they had a home and a city that could not be shaken, they were giving thanks Thanking God for their salvation, right? Thanking God for His presence. Thanking God for His sovereign control over the affairs. Maybe even praying for their jailer because we see the result in a few minutes. But for now, let's, with this as our backdrop, let's take just a few minutes. And with Acts 16 and with Paul and Silas sitting there in those stocks in that dark, damp dungeon... Let's go now to Colossians chapter 3 and let's just, let's just review some of the basic teaching about thankfulness, gratitude, joy, 
praise in the life of the believer. Thankfulness or gratitude and praise in the life of the Christian, number one, I want us to see, is, number one, a mark of obedience. Have you thought about thankfulness and gratitude and praise in that light? That if you are grumbling and if you are mumbling and if you have ingratitude in your life, you are disobeying the word of God. You say, well, I can only feel what I feel. Did you know that happiness is a choice? That a great deal of our responses to the circumstances of our lives is how we choose to respond. You don't have to respond a certain way. And based upon my confidence in the word of God and the reality of what God is doing in my life, and if he really is in control and he really is trustworthy and he's really written a trustworthy word and the spirit of God is in me, and as I said, I'm not in this circumstance because of some ignorance on my part or sin or lack of self-control on my part. I am simply doing the will of God, being a missionary here in the hospital in Togo, and I, I went through all the precautions of the day and the... HIV still got on me and in my eyes. Then I have to assume that God absolutely knew that and was absolutely in control that moment. The problem is we don't know the rest of the story. We're always living in the moment. And with an improper response, what happens is, so often I'm afraid we circumvent the work of what God is about to do with our wrath and our anger and our ignorant words. Let's just look here, first of all, Colossians chapter 3. Let's begin actually at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, excuse me, I I said 1 Corinthians maybe, Colossians, did I say Colossians? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness and patience, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let now then the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. You ought to underline each one of those. In verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times the Apostle Paul wraps up this section with this emphasis and this focus. All of these Christian virtues should be flowing in your life. All of this result of the transformation of Christ in me. 
And this is flowing out of me. And now be thankful. Notice that it's a directive. Notice it's in the imperative. Do this. It's right up there with do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Be thankful. We don't think like that, do we? We think of gratitude, joy, peace, praise, thankfulness. We think that that will happen if it happens. We think that based on the circumstances of my life, if everything goes okay, then I will be happy and I will be thankful. Instead of waking up in the morning and saying, Christ is in me. And the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit of God who indwells me. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Therefore, I'm going to be a thankful person today. And so when they grab you, beat you up, pull your shirt off, beat you with rods, throw you in stocks, throw you in the inner dungeon. Oh, well. I don't want to be flipping at all. Could it be that we're on to something here and that, that a certain level of discontent among God's people, a certain level of whining among God's people, a certain level of dissatisfaction with the circumstances of my day, even though I've said God is sovereign and I'm trusting him, is one of the reasons we don't look any different than the rest of the world around us. Oh yeah, I got my ticket to heaven right here. I'm born again, got saved in vacation Bible school, age five. I know I'm going to heaven, but the rest of my life looks pretty much like everybody else. I kick my dog just like the neighbor kicks his dog. I growl at my wife when I come in the door just like the neighbor growls at his wife. One of us knows Christ and gets to go to heaven. The other one gets to go burn in hell forever. You know what? God didn't save us just to take us to heaven. God saved us to transform us and to use us as his conduit, as his light, as his salt to a watching world. And I suspect that a, that a greater heightened sensitivity and a level of obedience in this area would change and transform our testimony. Secondly, I want you to see that this is not only a, a mark of obedience. Uh, under mark of obedience, we were going to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Um, where it says, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. But number two, I want you to see that this is a mark of contrast. Gratitude, praise, thankfulness in the life of the believer is to mark us with a contrast. It's a mark of obedience in my life, but it's a mark of contrast. Where do I get that? Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look up a little higher at verse 5. Really, look at the very beginning of the passage. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated. Set your mind on things above. Then look at verse 5. And now, since you are in Christ, put to death. Who? You. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he runs through this whole list of everything that's in the movies. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. This used to characterize your life. You once lived a life like that. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Then here comes the therefore that we already read. Therefore, see this is all tied together in this passage. As a result of what you used to be and putting it aside, and now Christ is at work in you, therefore, now clothe yourselves with these, compassionate, and be thankful. That's where he gets to. You see? Listen. What do you think the difference between Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners? There were other prisoners in prison. We know that. Well, why is it that the jailer had his life permanently impacted by Paul and Silas and not any of the other prisoners? Because if you went by the other cells, they were cursing. If you went by the other cell, he had to watch where he walked through the bars in the, in the wooden doors is what I picture, this big beam door, this big post and beam and plank door that they, or something or iron door. And he had to watch, the, the jailer had to watch how he walked by because they'd spit on him. And... And when he slid their slop underneath the door to feed him, they would curse and throw it back through at him and try to splash it on him. They'd probably take their refuge and try to throw it and hit him. But Paul and Silas are sitting in the dark singing praise and hymns to God and praying. You know, I don't know, but there's a contrast here. There's something different about those two guys in the inner court there, in the inner room. So it's a mark of obedience. It's a mark of contrast. And notice ultimately, because you might be saying, well, how do I do this? It is a mark of maturity. Look at Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, we aren't perfect, are we? And oh, the emotions can well up within us. And circumstances can really plow into us. One of the ways that you know you're growing in Christ is when you kind of say to yourself, did you see all that that just happened? I didn't throw anything. I didn't kick anything. And I didn't curse anything. In fact, I just said, Lord, I need your grace right now. And in fact, I just had a, I had a course going through my head. You are my all in all through this whole thing. Wow. I must be growing in Christ. And indeed, a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thankfulness in the middle of our circumstances is one of the marks of maturing as a believer. Are you showing any marks of maturing in your life lately? Three marks that Paul says. It's a mark of obedience. It's a mark of contrast. It's a mark of maturity. Let's, let's wrap up by going back to Acts 16, shall we, please? And I want you to see now. Because of the testimony of praise in the midst of these horrible circumstances, what does God do? Well, first of all, He sends an earthquake. And the whole place pops open. All right? Everything just pops open all of a sudden. I take it that even the leg shackles somehow popped open in this thing. Or at least things popped out of the wall and loosened up so that they could get out of it. The Philippian jailer, he realizes what's going on in the darkness. 
He hasn't called for the light yet. He calls for light, so it's dark. It's pitch black in there, I'm sure. And he's ready to fall on his sword. Why? Because he's under a death oath that he guards these prisoners or he loses his life. Kind of like the Roman soldiers that guarded the tomb of Christ. It was so that he didn't go to sleep on his watch. If any of these prisoners get loose, whack, you're dead, dude. So therefore, he really, really made sure that nobody got loose. Now the whole thing is popped open, so he's ready to commit suicide. The Apostle Paul says, Hey, sir, don't do that. We're all here. We're all here. What a voice in the darkness. The guy didn't want to fall on his sword. The guy just didn't want to have the horrible, painful humiliation and death that they were going to give him the next morning when these guys all headed down the alleyways. So he calls for a light and he comes to these guys and you know that he's in an incredible emotional state because the first thing he says to Paul says, he just comes to them and he says, men, what, what, what do I have to do to be saved? Where did that come from? You think he'd be counting the heads. You think he'd be saying, where is everybody? Did anybody get hurt? What's going on in here? He just goes to Paul and Silas and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? There's only one place that that could have come from. And it was the fact that down the hall, as he sat on a stool, fighting to stay awake in the middle of the night, he was listening to those guys. And earlier when he shackled them, and earlier when he had thrown them down on the floor, they didn't hiss at him and curse at him and tell him that if he ever got out of there, they would kill him. There was something different about them. And then God began to do a work. Isn't it a great story? And he said, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. What a simple message. And your household. That verse is explained in the next verse when it says, Then they, Paul and Silas, spoke the word of God to him and to all the others in his house. So I take it that everybody who was old enough to hear the word of God, understand it, was transformed by the gospel message, believed and was saved, and they were baptized. And they became followers of Christ. What a night. What a night. What are the odds of anybody being pointed to Christ by the spillover of your life in the middle of negative circumstances? You say, it would never happen because I'm cussing and carrying on. You're right. You effectively put a lid on the ability of God to come in and take those circumstances and turn them into a beautiful moment of His grace. A tran the transformative power of the gospel is neutered by the fact that I am not happy, I am not thankful, I am mad, and I am not singing praise to my sovereign Heavenly Father. Right? What a great moment. What a great testimony. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we know that we can obey the Word of God because God doesn't give us orders we can't obey. 
We know that we have the Spirit of God living in us, and so as we grow in grace, it will spill over. It will. But we need to think about these things, don't we? You know, it occurs to me that it's possible that someone even here this morning is like that Philippian jailer, and you don't know how to be saved. You know that right now, in your heart and mind, before God, you can believe and be saved. That's a neat thing, you know that? Well, let's bow our heads because the rest of us, we probably need to start by confessing our sin before the Lord. And we need to say something like this, Father, for, please forgive me for my bad attitude. Father, would you begin to do a new work of grace in my life Grace in the sense of bringing me the strength that I need or helping me recognize the strength is there to walk in obedience, to walk in humility, and to trust you and to know that you are my heavenly Father and you are a good shepherd and I shall not want. And that whatsoever I do, I can do it with gratitude in my heart to God. I think... This could be a key to transforming the impact of our lives, both on our families, our neighborhoods, our co-workers. And so, Father, if someone here is seeking you, help them to understand in their heart right now that you love them, that Jesus died for them, that they do not have to pay the price for their own sin that's already been done, and they can receive your free gift of forgiveness through Christ by believing in Him this morning. And Father, for the believers in the Lord Christ, would you please forgive us for the lameness of our testimony so often because of ingratitude and carelessness with our praises. May our hearts spill over with a genuine, authentic work that you are doing in us that Christ would be seen in us by others. Thank you for this great example and testimony of the Apostle Paul. May we emulate and model these things. In Jesus' name, amen.